Hello and welcome to the Tech and Trees podcast. My guest today is Romain Diaz, the founder and managing partner of the climate tech VC Satgala. In the past year, one climate fund after another has been raised in Europe and America. But Satgana is special due to their geographical focus. They invest in Europe and Africa alike. Romain spent several years as an entrepreneur and venture builder on the African continent. He wants to do his part in paving the way for green growth in Africa. However, Africa is big, 54 countries to be precise, and not all of them are suitable for foreign investors. So Romain walks me through the different criteria that make a country investable and how his funds at Ghana bridges Europe and Africa. Enjoy. Hi, Romain. Thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? Hey, Pascal. Thank you so much for having me. Doing really well here in sunny Lisbon. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm not in southern Lisbon. I think your weather might be better than the one we got in South Africa right now. Uh, we're slowly but surely closing in on winter while I think your days are getting longer and warmer still, which is nice. Yeah. It's that time of the year, April, where it shifts, where it starts to become nicer in Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A bit envious right now, um, because right now you start freezing inside here in South Africa. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes, but it should be fine. Um, to start off, I think I have some more personal questions for you, as usual. And the first one is, I would like to know what you think of when I ask you about a formative childhood experience of yours. Yeah. So if I think of my childhood, I think I have to think of happy moments because I had the privilege of having a very uh, happy uh, childhood. And when I think of my happiest moments, I would say that they're the ones where I was uh, lucky to be in nature, uh, wherever that was, uh, that was uh, whether it was in uh, going out in the woods or doing bicycles in the countryside or mountains or whatever. And when I think of my childhood, that's the one main thing that I think about is uh, joy, joy of being out in nature. <laughs> and, and how does that tie into your answer to the question of like, who, who is Romain Diaz? Yeah, well, uh, I guess it was um, because I didn't grow up in cities. I grew up in a, in a very tiny village where I had that privilege to be in nature all the time. And uh, that gave me a very deep love for nature and uh, how much it is uh, really... Uh, fulfilling when you have the chance to to be there and spend time there and so on and how much uh, um, you know I was very much integrated with the cycles of life uh, I would say and um, I don't know how much that influences um, my personality but for sure my work obviously because of uh, my work on sustainability and trying to make a difference in healing nature and, and the climate and so on and trying to look at it from a, a holistic perspective But yeah, to answer your question on who I am, I would say, or what do I think of myself? Or how do I think of myself? I try to reach uh, as far and broad at all levels, meaning uh, I think of myself as being connected to the ideals, uh, the ideals of a better world and trying to make a positive difference and uh, being quite idealistic, but at the same time, Uh, reaching, uh, try to having uh, very deep roots and anchoring myself into practicalities. And it's not just uh, about dreaming, it's about doing. And that's also in, uh, um, that shows in the way we build the fund in like, you know, very concrete strategies and so on. And I'm sure we'll get there. Also trying to get far and reach uh, in terms of 
left and right, so left left uh, side of the of the brain. Uh, so trying to be as rational in, in in the way we do things, but at the same time the right part of the brain, meaning more intuition and so on. So trying to to connect to to that. So I try to think of myself of trying to reach far and wide at all levels. And, and in that case, when you're you're, you're bridging two different worlds it seems on the one hand lofty ideals and on the other hand you try to to practice them as well um that usually provides good good uh good ground for contro controversials uh so i'd like to ask you what what is like the most controversial idea that you that you support yeah indeed um i would say i had to think a bit about this one and i would say is um it might sound a bit paradoxical because i am obviously in the world of capitalism whether uh, even if we're trying to make an impact and uh, do it in, in a way that is very holistic and not just looking at the bottom line and you know taking into consideration positive impact negative impacts and so on uh, but i'm still very much in the capitalist system uh, we're very much like an investment fund that uh, is not fully disrupting the status quo Yet, there's one controversial idea I have, which is that I think it should be forbidden to be a billionaire. <laughs> I think uh, once you reach a certain of level of wealth, let's say 1 billion euros, dollars, uh, I think one should not be allowed to own more than that in liquid assets. I think uh, by then we should say that uh, one has uh, won the game of capitalism and that everything uh, above that, beyond that, should be given to charity or the, or the climate or redistributed to people who have less uh, beyond be, beyond that uh, a bit arbitrary threshold of one billion. I was just going to ask, like, what what should be done with that money? Like, after after you reach one billion, like, do you, is is there a structured way to make that to make that productive? Um, I haven't delved deep into the thinking because I think it will be very very hard. But you could either enforce it, meaning that beyond that, it would go to uh, that could be controversial, but maybe uh, fully fully taxed, hundred percent or given fully to charities, part of which for the environment and the climate, part of which for social causes, or it could be at the at the willingness of that person, or maybe it's a mix of both, you know, like taxing most of it and uh, still giving a, a leeway for the person to choose whether to give it for certain charities and so on. Obviously, they would need, like, there's so many things we need to think about in order to ensure there's no corruption and, and so many things. But overall, yeah, I think um, one should think of the environment and social angles. So if you reached 1 billion, then you could say that you've contributed to you, to the economic system and then over and beyond that, over and above that to contribute to environmental causes and social causes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you'd say being a billionaire is overrated. Um, to, to use that as as a transition to my last question for you before we get truly into what you're doing yeah. today. Um, yeah. what, what is one thing that you consider to be overrated? I would say expensive things. So whether it's uh, wine, whether it's, uh, and, and I'm saying this and you might hear that I'm from France, uh, but I still think that uh, expensive wine, expensive watches, expensive clothes, expensive cars, all expensive stuff, luxury stuff, I think is really, really overrated. And it's not really what brings value to the world, nor happiness. When, when you say that, can I ask you, what is the most expensive thing you own? It's a good question. It's actually a guitar that I was uh, recently uh, gifted. I'm a big fan oh. of music and guitar, and uh, but it's just, uh, I mean, just, it's an expensive guitar, but it's uh, only a thousand euros. I think that's probably the most expensive thing uh, that I own. And a MacBook, okay. obviously. 
<laughs> okay, interesting, interesting. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for this short introduction. Um, today, I think I would like to do two things with you. And first, I would like to talk to you about impact and in startup investing in Africa. And then secondly, I would like to talk to you about how exactly you're doing that with your fund, Satgana, um, if that makes sense to you. And I think, I think I would just kick it off with a question, like, what is your thesis for investing on the African continent? So, um, because of my paradigm and the way I see the world of business, I cannot have a thesis that is not encompassing uh, an economic standpoint along with a social standpoint and an environmental standpoint, because I truly believe that uh, the business world and the private sector and money in general is a very powerful force that can be used for the greater good or for um, more exploitation and extraction and destructive practices. And because of that, I think one should really have a thesis that um, encompasses all uh, Uh, or the three main aspects that we, you know, we have them in the three P's, so uh, planet and people and prosperity. And so a thesis, in my opinion, and my worldview should really be encompassing the three of them. So in the context of Africa, uh, it is about the fact that obviously Africa is uh, the youngest continent on the planet. It has a very fast growing population, uh, rapidly urbanizing um, leapfrogging innovation so obviously there was no uh, uh, for example desktop computers it went straight to mobile and uh, uh, same with uh, a lot of uh, like innovation that has leapfrogged what we had in other more developed markets so that is definitely on the economic standpoint but should also encompass social development and environmental development um, and the environmental is even more um prominent right now because not only do we need to align with net zero goals, uh, halving emissions by 2030, reaching net zero by 2050, so being putting the continent on the path to green growth early enough because uh, there's still a lot of um, things to be done in terms of uh, energy, mobility, food, agriculture, etc. So the earlier we can put the continent on the path to green growth, obviously the better from a mitigation standpoint, um, but also in terms of adaptation. Because uh, if we don't solve for climate change or for uh, our carbon emissions in the northern hemisphere and developed countries, then that will have tremendous social impacts. And that's, I believe, where the social angle uh, takes, uh, is really intertwined with the environmental angle in, in Africa in particular. And obviously, this should be done in conjunction with uh, social aspects as well, because uh, We can't just expect um, people who are less developed than other continents to go for the green choice, especially when it's more expensive because there's many, many other priorities when it comes to health, to education, to financial inclusion and so on. So it's about also getting that innovation in such a way that is affordable and just plain better so that we don't uh, demand uh, African people to go for the green option if it's more expensive. So it's really about... Uh, Having this paradigm that uh, takes into consideration social development, social social impact, environmental impact in terms of mitigation and adaptation, and obviously uh, economic development. Yeah, and I guess you have been doing a lot of thinking in the past about should you be doing investments in Africa formally, and you've probably been thinking about okay, so there were some pros, 
as you mentioned, for example, like the young population, the potential for leapfrogging innovation. Um, but I guess there were also some cons when you were thinking, okay, this might be too risky or this might put all this investing in Africa at risk. So I would like to know what pros outweighed which cons? Yeah, so first of all, we talk about Africa, but Africa is actually 54 countries. So uh, it's very important to keep in mind that uh, as much as sometimes in the developed world, we speak about Africa almost as a whole, but uh, it's actually many different countries with very different dynamics, political systems and uh, currencies and uh, dynamics and cultures and languages and so on. Uh, so in our case and in my case, when I look at Africa, I can only speak for uh, like the top level data and so on. Obviously, I follow it on a daily basis, but in terms of my practical experience and my networks and so on, it's actually a handful of countries where I am comfortable. So it's actually a, a very tiny minority in terms of uh, maybe not in terms of, of VC investments because uh, like... 90, 80, 90% of the VC investments on the continent are happening in four countries, which is uh, South Africa, Kenya, Egypt, and Nigeria. Uh, not in that order, actually. But uh, but yeah, from, from my perspective, it's actually uh, only a handful of countries. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's really one thing to take into consideration. And for me, um, it's about the economic opportunity. It's about the social, social impact that any investment can have on the continent. It's also about uh, responsibility in a way, because I believe that uh, um, we should not forget that a lot of innovation needs to happen on the continent for it to be on a path to green growth, to get access, to give access to uh, everything from electricity to uh, um, uh, education, health, and so on. And it's also intellectual curiosity, if I'm honest, because uh, I think it's just fascinating to see what's happening on the continent and in emerging countries in general, that I don't want to only stay in my bubble of uh, you know knowing what's happening in, in Europe and then dismissing what's happening in emerging countries. So it's not only responsibility, it's not only impact, it's not only economic uh, uh, upside, but it's also just intellectual curiosity to be open to what's happening in other regions in the world. Yeah. And so you've given a lot of like of, of the pro sides of why you would invest in Kenya, for example. Could you could you briefly go into what are usually factors that would prevent you from investing in let's say Tanzania, for example, right? Like what would these countries have to to change to attract more um more investment? Yeah, so to be honest, I don't know Tanzania very well. Uh, I've just been there once, but more like uh, traveling, so I don't really know the market. Uh, I think it is, I mean, it's for sure much less developed than uh, the big four that we, we, we call them in, in Africa. Uh, so, and again, each country is quite specific in terms of policy, in terms of uh, population, in terms of uh, so many factors that make it really hard to um, to pinpoint one thing that uh, the continent needs to do because it is really on a per country basis. But for sure, that needs to be work in terms of infrastructure, in terms of attracting capital, in terms of uh, uh, international capital, uh, easing local uh, rules when it comes to visas, when it comes to uh, attracting foreign investment, in terms of um, access to digital services, in terms of uh, 
cost of mobile data. There's so many things, uh, but obviously ranked in different orders in terms of ease of doing business per country. Like for example, if we take the the, the example of Rwanda, it's a very small country. Uh, a fairly small population, but is very much at the forefront of innovation in terms of uh, policy, in terms of taxes, in terms of uh, uh, digital hubs for entrepreneurship, in terms of investment, and so on and so forth. And that will be maybe very different from Tanzania, which has a much bigger population, but much less innovation on, on this front. Yeah. Um, how does startup investing for you in Africa differ from investing in Europe overall? Like what, where are the differences in the process? I imagine you, you can't just like take your investment framework for Europe and put it like apply it in Africa. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess um, a lot of innovation that happened in developed countries are Uh, being developed uh, or can be then deployed in emerging markets. So, for example, if we take the case of a portfolio company of ours, which is called uh, Mazi Mobility, it's a company that does uh, electric mobility in East Africa. Um, so, on the one hand, they took some of the very well-developed innovation from other markets. Uh, it's electric motorbikes and batteries. So, most of the innovation from a hardware standpoint has happened in other markets. Uh, so, Uh, the design and the engineering and so on happens maybe more in developed countries and then a lot of the scaling and scaling down of the of the cost has happened in asia india and uh, in china in particular uh, so that um, innovation has happened in other markets but then bringing it locally and then deploying locally required some adaptation to the local markets for example in europe we tend to have more charging stations for electric mobility whereas in uh, east africa it tends to be more swapping so it's more about uh, having all these fleets of drivers who really want to swap very quickly and then um, uh, on the go they don't necessarily need to own the battery but they want to actually be able to swap the battery very quickly and that required a, a local uh, adaptation so you can use a lot of the innovation that happened in terms of just internet, social networks, uh, cloud computing, um, and uh, like business model innovation and so on that happened in uh, other markets, in developed markets. So you can deploy that. So that, uh, that means that it's a little bit different as compared to coming up with true breakthrough innovation. Uh, but at the same time, it's about localizing the business models. And that requires a local understanding of things from a cultural standpoint, from a cost standpoint, from a, like there's so many things that needs to, you can't just deploy, uh, or in most cases, you can't just uh, copy paste what had been done in the North uh, to just deploy it in, in emerging countries. Yeah, so it's a lot more business model innovation and adaptation rather than, let's say, technological innovation. I was, I was talking to um, to Duval from the, from the Launch Lab, whom you know, and he was saying that, The, the, the need to consider that you're trying to build a business for people who sometimes maybe earn or live on like five dollars a day and not on european standards right so like you might have technology but you need to think a lot more about how do you deploy it or bring it to people who simply do have live a living completely different realities yeah fully fully agree um i wish there was more breakthrough innovation that really came from uh, the south but uh It's also a matter of priorities in terms of development. It's also in terms of um, access to talent, access to grant funding, access to uh, 
to cheap ways of doing innovation, access to capital, etc. That just makes it a lot harder to have pure breakthrough innovation in uh, in uh, more emerging markets. Yeah. Um, before we go into what you're doing with Satgana and what kind of vision you pursue, I would I would like to ask you a bit about what can venture capital achieve on the African continent? What kind of impact can you have? And so, so founders have you know many barriers in front of them when you when you look at Africa and not only access to capital. So what impact can venture capital actually have in Africa? What can it what can it change? Yeah, so venture capital is really uh, basically a tool to accelerate innovation. That's essentially what it is. And um, there is a common narrative in Africa that uh, when you do VC or when you do entrepreneurship, it is necessarily impact entrepreneurship, even if it's not branded as such, because there is so much of a need for social economic development that anything you do, especially when you bring foreign capital, whether it comes from the US or Europe or other markets or even uh, Asia, um, it is it is an impact investment, even if it's not branded as such. And even if the impact uh, outcomes are not um, as prominent as the economic out um, uh, outcomes, meaning that you have a lot of funds that are just uh, primarily focused on financial returns, but yet without necessarily looking for impact, they have impact at the core of what they do because anything you bring onto the continent fosters more innovation, more social development, more economic development. In our case, we are an impact fund, so we don't just assume that there will be positive impact. We also need to measure impact. Um, and we try as much as possible to, and it's far from easy, but what we try to do is uh, to have business models that have a inherent correlation between financial success and uh, positive impact. Um, so basically, the more the company scales from a commercial perspective, the more it has positive impact. And on top of that, we try to incorporate social um, uh, impact KPIs, but more in terms of how, how we do things. So in terms of inclusion, inclusion of women, in terms of uh, trying to have as much as possible local founders, etc., etc., rather than what. So we don't really uh, invest in social impact in terms of, say, access to health or access to financial services or access to education and so on. That's not really part of our mandate because we're an environmental and climate-focused fund. But we still take into consideration the social uh, KPIs when we invest and really try to also bring that awareness to the founders or really work with them you know, for, for to incorporate these uh, social KPIs. Yeah. And you just said that there are some investors other than you, for example, who, who are only focusing on financial returns, but are still achieving some sort of impact. What is like the general investment climate in Africa right now? I assume that you are talking to some other investors on the continent, right? And overall, the funding sentiment or momentum, let's say, um, is not in a great place right now, at least in Europe or the US overall, right? There's a bit of a downturn. So I, I wonder, does that differ from what's happening in Africa? Yes, so actually there was quite a bit of data in the past few months showing that uh, Africa in terms of um, relative numbers has been less affected than other continents uh, of, uh, by the current VC downturn 
which is great news for the continent. I don't know how resilient and how sustained that will be, but it's been the case since the downturn, which happened now about nine months ago. Like it's really started to be the case in Q3 2022, and Africa has still grown as compared to 2021 in terms of uh, VC amount uh, dollar invested, and has been generally fairly resilient. Um, my belief is that it should continue to be the case, uh, especially as we see more successes. Recently, there's been a company called InstaDeep in uh, Tunisia, which has been acquired for 600 million. It's a born and bred uh, African company, and uh, that major success tends to attract more capital. Uh, so that's just one one success. And in general, I think there is much less money coming into VC but there is still a lot of VC money that has been raised by funds and this money in general needs to be invested. So obviously it still needs to find uh, good investment opportunities and obviously there is always a bit of a risk of uh, um, uh, LPs missing their payments and so on. But in general, the VC market itself should be uh, quite resilient in my opinion because a lot of funds have been raised in general. So maybe... Quite a few have been a bit waiting on the sidelines for a couple of quarters now uh, because they were a bit unsure how to read the market. But in, I believe that they will still be um, mostly deployed. And as such, the VC market should not be too affected, I believe. I stand corrected, but that's uh, my belief and my hope. <laughs> yeah, let's hope Let's hope we're in a, in a good place here. Um, let's get talking more about what you're doing, what the fund that you have recently brought to life um it's called satgana you're investing in europe and in africa and i would simply like to ask you what what vision do you pursue with satgana yeah so basically we're trying to invest in the next generation of founders who are creating technology solutions against uh, the climate and the ecological crisis When I say climate and ecological, it's because climate change is obviously the big topic that we talk about in terms of one of the biggest challenges that humanity is facing. But we're also looking at other environmental uh, metrics such as biodiversity, plastics. We also look at climate adaptation, especially in the context of emerging markets. Uh, so it's not only about carbon emissions uh, and CO2 and other greenhouse uh, gases, but it's also about other environmental metrics that we look at, although I would say about 80% of our deal flow is still climate focused. Um, but yeah, we're looking for the innovators that are creating scalable, commercially driven solutions that can help us uh, be on a path to more sustainability and more regeneration. Uh, because we believe that it is the right thing to do from an ethical perspective towards our planet who feeds us and enables to to live in this wonderful uh, one and only home we have, or at least that's my belief, that uh, it should, should remain as such and it should remain our focus. And um, also from a social perspective, that it's uh, the right thing to do, because if we don't solve climate change and uh, carbon emissions in the northern hemisphere, it will have the most tremendous um, implication in the global south. Um, and we also believe that it's not only the right thing to do from an ethical perspective, from a planetary and human perspective, but also from a commercial perspective. We think that it's the moment for um, climate tech in general. And when I say climate tech, it encompasses these other environmental metrics that I mentioned earlier. We think it's also the biggest opportunity of our generation. 
because uh, we need to decarbonize all economies. We need to do things differently. We need to completely change the way we eat, the way we move, the way we produce food, the way we produce energy, the way we uh, just make our economies work from a linear to a circular model, etc. Easier said than done, but that's definitely what we need to do in the next 10 years. We don't have a lot of time. And in the next 30 years, uh, actually even less than that because we're now in 2023 and uh, that will require tremendous changes in the way we do things basically and that's not just uh, in my opinion the trend of one or two or three or five years like we had a lot of trends in the VC world but that's really a macro trend that is going to be the case for the next 20-30 years and as such we believe that uh, it is the right time there's regular, regular sorry, regulatory tailwinds there's uh, the younger generation, which is more demanding. There is more, more and more conscious uh, customers, consumers. There is um, talent that wants to work for purpose-driven companies. So everything is going in this direction. And that's really our belief that uh, it is the right time and uh, the right thing to do to invest in, in these uh, themes. And because you have a focus on two different continents, I wonder, but how did you go about setting this fund up? Because, you know, sometimes there are funds that say, okay, we invest in Europe and in the US, for example, but the, that's still a very developed state, for example, right? Like, But like investing in Africa is so much more delicate and so much more difficult. So how did you go about setting up the fund and also building the network that you rely on, I guess? Yeah, so that's partially driven by my own experience and background. So maybe a quick, uh, quick background myself. Uh, as I said, I'm originally from France. I studied business in France, uh, but did quite a bit of work in emerging countries. Uh, did my master thesis on social entrepreneurship in Brazil. I lived in Mexico. I lived in China where it was still considered an emerging country. Uh, spent quite a bit of time in, in India. And most importantly, I was involved in the very early days of what became the first unicorn in Africa called Jumia uh, in Morocco. Uh, that was about 10 years ago. And then I was uh, fortunate to live in Cape Town for about seven years. And um, because of that, so I set up a, a number of ventures. I set up one of the first venture studios on the African continent called Far Ventures. And uh, that gave me a lot of exposure to uh, the issues of the continent, but also a lot of networks, co-investors, founders, ecosystem builders, and just uh, networks in general. And uh, because of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, and obviously my connections to the continent, even though I relocated to Europe a couple of years ago, I'm now based in uh, the wonderful city of Lisbon. I still do quite a bit of work on the African continent and I want to do so. And at the same time, I'm based here in Lisbon. A lot of our team is here in, in, in Europe, uh, in different countries, from France to Switzerland to the Netherlands to Germany and so on. And our fund is based in Luxembourg. So that gives us the privilege of really having access and, and a view on both continents in terms of founders, deal flow, in terms of um, portfolio companies. Now we've made uh, eight investments, of which six in Europe and two in Africa. Uh, in terms of co-investors, in terms of LPs, etc. So we have the privilege to be on both continents, which again is um, really, it's a privilege. It's uh, stimulating intellectual curiosity. It gives us an edge in seeing things that many other investors may not see because we really see what's happening on both sides of uh, the Mediterranean or rather um, emerging countries versus developed countries. 
and uh, it's just fascinating as well to be able to uh, jump from uh, helping a company in Ethiopia to helping a company in Germany uh, in uh, in just a matter of one hour <laughs> it's really wonderful yeah i can imagine uh, let's talk about that uh, you, you said you've made two investments in africa can you can you name those and maybe also walk me a bit through the core questions that you had to answer to be comfortable with investing those and so on so walk me a bit through the process of like how did you find them what key questions did you have to answer and how did everything come together yeah so in terms of how do we find them we have two main ways of generating deal flow one is very much inbound so because we have a following we have like 10,000 followers on social media because we're out there because we're doing partnership and so on we just receive a lot of inbound deal flow of entrepreneurs who just find us or even google search and so on so they find us the other way that we generate deal flow is a bit more outbound so Going into universities, um, you, you mentioned Launch Lab. We collaborate with them on uh, climate investments in South Africa and in Kenya. Uh, we are very early in looking at uh, universities and uh, early stage incubator accelerators and so on. Um, we also look at a lot of co-investments alongside the other impact VCs on the continent. So we exchange deals and opportunities and so on. So that's a bit more proactive and outbound. And that's how we find the companies in general. It's really going early, trying to find the companies that fit our uh, thesis, our, uh, our topics of interest, which are mobility, food, agriculture, energy, uh, circular economy, buildings, and, and so on. And then uh, we prefer to co-invest in general. So we are comfortable with a set of co-investors that we know well, that we already have experience with, and so on. And then obviously doing a bit of... Uh, diligence checks on founders and knowing the ecosystem and so on to give us comfort along with obviously looking at the things that most VCs look like in terms of scalability of the model, in terms of um, defensibility and uh, unit economics and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, and the two investments you made, what, what are they doing? Or like what, what's, what are the products that you're not hoping to boost with your capital? Yeah. Yeah, so one of them that I mentioned earlier is called Mazi Mobility. They do electric uh, motorbikes and a network of swapping stations, battery swapping stations in Kenya. Uh, we've been working with them for now two years. And uh, we're actually co-investing with the Launch Lab in uh, Stellenbosch in, in, in uh, South Africa, although the company is based in Kenya. And the other one is a company called Cubic, which does low-carbon buildings with a circular model because they're uh, diverting plastics from landfills to make low-carbon houses in Ethiopia. And uh, they also have operations in Kenya. And uh, we're really happy about this investment as well. We uh, invested earlier this year and the company has recently notably been named Startup of the Year at the Global Startup Awards, which give them a lot of uh, visibility. It's the first time that an African startup give, uh, wins this award and uh, very big fans of uh, Kirus and Penda's uh, team and they work in Ethiopia. Yeah, congrats on that in that case. What were like the two, or like behind the two investments, what were like the key factors that convinced you to make these investments? At the end of the day, the main first uh, criteria we look at is the quality of the founding team um, because from that trickles down all the rest, basically. What market they're going to target, what impact they want to create, how uh, commercially savvy they are, and so on. Everything really starts from the founding team. 
and most importantly in the CEO, but the founders in general. Uh, that's the first thing that we look at. That's our main criteria. Then we look at tra traditional unit economics and, and criteria that most VCs look like in terms of market size, in terms of business model, in terms of traction and so on, although most of them are very, very early in terms of traction. But again, if we uh, defer to our judgment on the quality of the founding team, that generally trickles down to hopefully a good businesses. Then we look at the potential impact. Uh, so in the case, for example, of Cubic, what we love is the fact that it's uh, really triple impact. So it's low carbon buildings, uh, cement and the construction sector is uh, uh, responsible for 6 to 8% of uh, global greenhouse gas emissions. So doing lower carbon buildings is a key lever in terms of decarbonization. It's also a circular model because they're diverting plastics from landfills. And last but not least, it's affordable housing. So it's really triple uh, impact. And they are doing it with a model that is uh, meant to be commercially viable. So if they succeed, which I believe they will, it could be a massively impactful and massively uh, successful uh, business. So that's looking at the impact. And then last but not least, obviously, we also look at the quality of the deal in terms of deal terms, in terms of valuation and uh, how much we can own of the company and what we can bring to them and so on. Yeah, Do you, both the, both the investments you made in Africa were hard tech, so to speak, so physical products, right? Do you do you have any opinion on whether hard tech, for example, is more important on the African continent, or are you completely unbiased with regards to this? I wouldn't say it's more important. Um, in general, the conventional wisdom in climate tech is that uh, to solve the climate crisis, we need to move uh, atoms and not just bits, meaning that uh, really like going into real world stuff is uh, essential if we want to make a difference. Um, but I, coming back to my point on the fact that any kind of uh, VC in Africa is impact VC, whether it's branded as such or not, Uh, we also want to invest in software development companies or software companies. Um, I actually previously co-founded a number of software companies on the continent, uh, not necessarily impact-driven in terms of business model, but in, as such, they are creating jobs. They're uh, also driven by inclusion and so many other uh, aspects in terms of uh, what I believe the impact is and, and can be in, in the future. So we don't really have a strong thesis in terms of saying that uh, Hardware is more important than software in the continent. Although in general, for sure, if we really want to put the continent on the path to green growth, then I think that uh, hardware definitely ha has a potential to have more impact than software. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering right now, like sometimes the criticism towards foreign investors in Africa is that, you know, that they don't really understand the local context that they're, that they're investing in and that therefore their investments might be either misguided or actually producing side effects that they won't be aware of. Um, how do you work at Satgana to, to bridge this gap between Europe and Africa? How do you make sure that you gather this important information? Because as we said earlier, right, like the, the adaptation of business models to local context is so important in this, in this uh, case here. Yeah, so first of all, um, a few of our team members uh, have deep uh, African roots. Uh, one of our team members is based in South Africa. Uh, one of our investment directors is for, from, from four countries in Africa. I myself lived and work on the continent for about 10 years. So we do have some knowledge of the continent, even though I'm European. Um, so that's first in terms of our own team. In terms of... Uh, 
who or which companies we invest in, we have a very strong preference for local founders rather than European or American or uh, other foreign founders as much as possible. Not always the case, but that's definitely our preference. And all things being equal, we would prefer a local founder just in terms of uh, both economic empowerment and um, social impact, but also in terms of knowledge of the local market. And last but not least, we try to co-invest with uh, investors that are deeply in, uh, in on the ground as well and that know the market and also can uh, challenge us on our perspectives when we're not necessarily locally based and not necessarily know very deep a specific industry. We try to co-invest alongside investors who are also on the ground. Yeah. Um, as we're talking a bit about, about the challenges of investing, I'm also thinking again of, of the challenges that founders are facing. And we said, okay, there's access to capital, for example, right? But there are also other challenges such as access to talent, for example, having the right knowledge yourself, right? And simply like a lot of operational skills that people might not have. And the way I understand that Ghana's up is kind of what you would call an operational VC, right? You provide quite a lot of hands-on support. Um, could you talk a bit about how, how this setup works and what's the rationale behind that? Yeah, so um, for us, operational support is very much part of our DNA. First, because I come from a venture studio background. I was part of a couple of venture studios in Morocco, in South Africa. Then I co-founded and was CEO of a startup studio in South Africa for five years. So I really came from that background. We even started Satkana as a venture studio initially. We started our first company, Mazi Mobility, with a venture building approach, meaning we were really deep in the trenches on a daily basis. So that's very much part of our DNA in terms of our modus operandi. It's also a way to be chosen by founders. So we manage to get sometimes in very competitive deals because founders want us on the cap table because they know and they have heard reputation that we have, that we're really involved and helpful. Um, it's also a risk mitigation strategy because uh, the more involved we are, the more we can ensure that we maximize the chances of succeeding and that we know what's happening within the company and so on. And last but not least, it's just fascinating. I'm, um, you know, I'm speaking with uh, most of our founders almost on a daily basis on WhatsApp and they share, you know, or email or calls or Slack or, or and so on. And they share their wins, their challenges, their concerns, uh, etc. And that's something that's uh, very much part of even my passion. You know, I, I love to work with founders. I love to help them. I love to walk in their shoes as much as possible. I love for them to know that uh, I know what they're going through and that I will really roll up my sleeves to help them as much as I possibly can for them to succeed. And so, yeah, that's very much part of what we do. And then we also try to plug in resources in these companies. So we have a number of advisors and board members and IC members and most importantly our LPs as well. We have about 60 LPs in our, in our fund and a lot of them want to be helpful with our portfolio companies, helping, helping with anything from industry expertise, markets, uh, impact management, technology, marketing, go-to-market, product, fundraising, etc. And we really try to plug in these resources to the companies that we invest in. Yeah, with this with this operational setup as well as having the focus on Europe as well as Africa, what does your recruitment process look like? Like, how do you how do you bring this 
yeah, let's say more diverse skill set that you might require from people into yeah into your recruitment process. Yeah, so diversity is definitely part of uh, a very important part of what we do. We have a majority of women at all levels of the company, and uh, we have a gender lens in our investment process, etc. Uh, so diversity is key from a gender gender perspective, but also ethnicity in terms of age, in terms of background, and so on. We are not actively recruiting. We're a small team. We don't have a lot of funds under management at this point. So we're still a very small team on a like full-time dedicated uh, basis. But beyond that, we have the Sadgana Collective, which is a bunch of uh, wonderful advisors, LPs, board members, and so on. Some of which, some of whom are uh, more passive and just, um, you know, uh, trusting us with uh, their capital to to do the right thing. But some of them are very active and really want to help uh, as. Uh, like to represent us on the board of companies or to uh, speak with the founders to plug in some form of functional sectoral expertise and so on so we really try to be to do the match as much as possible between those companies and this broader collective that we are fortunate to have yeah okay cool um i think we're coming to an end slowly but surely so i have like one very big question actually for you to the end and it's uh, i would like to ask you about what i call the african miracle so How can African economies develop sustainably, sustainably while empowering the people who have historic, historically been left behind, right? Like, so what are different factors that need to come together to make this big transition happen? Something that no other continent has ever done before. Um, so it's... Um, and there are oh, no right or wrong answers. Like I, I ask this question a lot <laughs> and I'm just trying to figure it out for myself. So I'm just trying to, to get other perspectives here. Mm. Um, I think we might need a couple of more hours to speak about that. <laughs> uh, I have time. And yeah, de decades of, of work that has been done, so I don't have all the answers, but definitely um, more needs to happen on the continent from an entrepreneurial perspective in terms of investment, in terms of activism, in terms of consumer prefer preferences, in terms of uh, fighting corruption, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of talent, in terms of... Uh, foreign investment, in terms of policy, in terms of uh, even donors from other countries, uh, from multilateral um, uh, agencies. So just a lot more, a lot more that needs to happen at all levels. So, and I don't believe that there's one silver bullet in, in saying that, uh, I don't know, VCs are going to change the face of the continent or that entrepreneurship alone is going to, or that uh, stopping corruption is going to, or that uh, policies going or governments are going to change uh, the status quo, etc. It's really each and every one of these parties have a role to play. And then obviously at the individual level in doing the right thing, in uh, educating ourselves, is trying in trying to have an impact in terms of uh, making the right consumer preferences, in terms of everything. So it really needs to come from all angles. And um, it's obviously more easy to say than, than to do it because uh, not everyone is working in the right direction and not everyone has the right the same priorities. But... Um, Just everything needs to happen at all levels. And uh, that's also what needs to happen, not only for the continent, but in terms of also fighting climate change and uh, the ecological crisis that we're in. It's not one silver bullet. It's not because we will invent, uh, let's say, nuclear fusion that that's it. Our problems are done because there's so many other things to take into consideration. And I think it's important to keep that in mind is that um, it needs to come from everywhere and everyone. And um, everyone has the skills, has some skills that they can apply to it as well. So whether you're a marketer, financier, uh, 
uh, recruiter, uh, you have a deep expertise in the ocean or in gender equality or whatever it is, there is something to be done and uh, we need all hands on deck. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Let me, just to, to really finish off, ask you the same question in a different way. If you were born in South Africa today and I picked South, Af South Africa because I think it's the country that you know the best on the African continent, um, what kind of skill sets would you try to acquire and what would you try to do to help bring about this transition? Uh, I would, I think, focusing specifically on South Africa, I would focus on energy because uh, South Africa is a massive producer and a lot of its uh, energy mix comes from coal, which obviously is the source of energy that produces the most uh, carbon emissions. At the same time, has a lot of wind and um, sun, so it doesn't harness all the power that it can. And at the same time, has a lot of what we call in South Africa, I still say we, even though I don't live there anymore, uh, low sheddings, meaning uh, electricity uh, outages. And um, it's it sounds a bit crazy that uh, there is uh, so much renewable potential, yet most of it is focused on um, coal. And yet, and so there's abundant, abundant coal, there's abundant renewables, yet there's a lot of uh, power outages. So to me, that's one of the main problems that needs to be addressed alongside uh, inequalities, especially from a racial perspective or ethnicity. Uh, it's definitely something that, um, I mean, we could go deep into the why and how and so on, but that's uh, obviously the, the big other one that needs to be addressed, along with yeah. security and safety. So. <laughs> So many things. Lots to be done. Cool. No, Omar, I have to let you go, unfortunately, but thank you so much for taking the time. This was awesome. Um, thank you. And well, all the best with Sakana. Thank you so much, Pascal. Really nice to be here. Thank you so much for your work.